And howdy. Pleased to be joined by Alex McLean once again for another episode of the Steve Laidlaw pod. We had Alex on last week to talk about some of the implications on the NHL salary cap for this lockdown situation that we are all currently living in. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing as well as I can be right now. Thanks, Steve. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good. In uh, in deep two coffees already this morning, so uh, I'm riding a high, and let's <laughs> see if we can't channel some of that energy into some of the strange occurrences of the NHL this week. I want to kind of start off um, with the news that the Boston Bruins have re-upped Yarrow Halak for next season. How big of a steal is that for the Bruins? Uh, when I first saw the number that he's getting paid next year, I was thinking, wow, that's half of what I was expecting. Um, it looks to be a solid contract for both sides. I think the one year kind of brings them to the end of Rask contract, brings them uh, hopefully to a more stable cap environment and allow them to kind of reevaluate at that point. Maybe he can take over with a bigger contract then. But uh, all in all, I like it for uh, everybody around and especially for his owners in fantasy leagues. Yeah, he's coming in at 2.25, but they also took advantage of, as you mentioned, his his 35-year-old age, so now they can give him performance bonuses. And I think it's 10 games he has to hit, and then he gets an extra 1.25 million. But that doesn't necessarily have to go on next season's cap. So if there's a huge drop in the cap number, they're well set up to just bump that overage into 2022 when mm-hmm. Rask's money's coming off the table. And they're, they're probably going to do the same with Chara's deal as well. If he decides that he wants to come back for next season. So it's a little bit of chicanery, but it's well within the rules and it's going to allow them to circumvent things a little bit if the cap does end up dropping. And looking at it right now, they have roughly 61 million committed to 17 players from what's going to be the president's trophy roster. And they've only got like five guys, five, six guys to re-sign for next year. And the only really big money one's probably going to be Tory Krug. So I'm, I'm thinking that if the cap drops 10 million, they might be able to fit all those guys in there. What do you think about that, Alex? I think it'd be doable. I think uh, Krug's probably looking for something in the range of $8 million, similar to what uh, John Carlson got, maybe a little less than Roman Yossi kind of thing. Somewhere in that range might make sense for him. And if Boston's at 61 right now, uh, something around that, then looking at next year, they can re-sign a couple of... Uh, smaller contracts to fill out the roster and then just have to deal with Jake DeBrusque. So yeah, if it goes down to 80 million or so, they should still be perfectly fine to fit all that in or even, yeah, if it goes down a lot lower, they should be able to make it work and bring people back. If it doesn't go down that low, then they have 
a lot more flexibility than most top teams and they might be able to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's a scary thought that they might be able to snag a top free agent if there's anyone out there willing to kind of sign a a shorter term deal with them or even a longer term deal. They might be able to make the cap numbers work. And certainly with DeBrusque, we've seen a number of RFAs signing for cheaper, shorter bridge deals. And he's probably headed towards something like that. And then they've got a decent amount of talent bubbling up in the minors still guys like Jack Studnika and Trent Frederick and maybe even Jakob Zaborl, Carson Kuhlman. Like these guys aren't going to be game breakers, but they're on entry level deals. So if they can come up and contribute to the bottom end of their roster, then that's just going to have their cap environment be even more fruitful. Yeah, it definitely uh, gives them a lot of flexibility moving forward. As you said, they don't really have any game breakers down there, but they've got a lot of good players that can come up and fill roles and kind of fill in the bottom pieces and support the big guys that they have signed to very team-friendly contracts. Yeah, as it turns out, it's very helpful to have your entire top line signed for about half of what Connor McDavid makes. (laughs) Who'd have thought it? Yeah. Uh, did you see what came out with uh, the agent Kurt Overhart's exceptional player proposal? I did and took a quick glance through it. and It was kind of a fun idea. It reminded me of something we had uh, for a few years in our one of our fantasy leagues, actually, the kind of exceptional uh, or accepted contract where in our fantasy league we had a discount on that contract but uh he's going the full nine yards with it and just taking it completely off the books and i think what it was is just taking the one contract off the books uh whichever one you want to select and it benefits the players because it still goes into their uh financial part of the revenue however uh, teams take advantage by not having it on the cap and the ones that are that don't need to take advantage of it I think they were getting some kind of uh, salary tax payment bonus so it seemed to be a win-win all around and I definitely like the angle of it that it wasn't to get rid of the cap system but just to kind of allow a bit of flexibility around it I think NHL teams seem to have a tough enough time uh, churning out any kind of dynasty that adding another player outside of the cap system would give some more flexibility, maybe allow players to spend their entire careers more often with the same team, which is nice to see and shouldn't really affect the balance of the league too much uh, outside of the range of what it is already. Well, you mentioned it off the hop. This sounds like a rule straight out of a fantasy league because any idea of something coming outside of the hard cap and the 50-50 revenue split, like I know that there's a whole bunch of stuff built in to his proposal that would try to maintain that 50-50 
balance between players and owners, but I think the term that was used was like leakage or seepage or something like that. And it's just something that the NHL is never going to go for because they gave up a season and a half to get these rules and they don't want to go back. Like ultimately I'm all for outside the box ideas, especially right now. And I think that any time you're adding new rules and wrinkles that it really, it makes the smarter teams have a greater advantage because the dumb teams are not going to understand the rules as well. And the smarter teams are going to have a better idea. So it's going to, as you said, likely increase the odds of having some kind of a dynasty, but I just, I just love rules and wrinkles and stuff like that because you can put yourself into the mind of the GM and you really think about what's the best team building strategy here. Ultimately though, it looks a lot like, NBA or MLB luxury tax scenario. Mm -hmm. And I just know that that's not something that the NHL wants to go for at all. And ultimately like the rich teams are going to pay the luxury tax and the poor ones won't. So the NHL loves their parody and they're not going to go away from it. I think that there's a way to rethink his proposal and figure out a different mechanism in a way that it doesn't get, it doesn't result in a larger disparity between the haves and have nots. I just haven't seen what that is yet. Yeah. And maybe it's uh, something that's just a temporary fix for next season to kind of allow to kick the can down the road and fix the cap in the meantime maybe you just allow teams to take one contract off the books and not count towards the salary cap for next year and then it goes right back up against the salary cap for the year after i i don't know what the exact fix is but uh i agree i like the thought uh, process behind it i like the creativity and it's something that uh us that enjoy watching hockey we get into and can analyze it and can talk about it kind of create some interest and that's in a time when we don't have too much else to talk about so keeps things entertaining right and i don't want to go too conspiracy bubble on this but certainly uh it would be just like an agent to come up with an idea that Mm -hmm. basically undermines the salary cap and you said that maybe this is something that only happens for one year but I think the idea would be hey let's let's sneak this cap circumvention idea in here and maybe it goes forward for all time kind of like how surveillance and all that stuff took root after 9-11 and it was supposed to be just for a little while and it's it's still taking place to this day and who knows uh, again with with our lockdown situation now what uh, what civil liberties we lose as a result of this uh, people taking advantage of these circumstances definitely an interesting thought <laughs> so we talked about it on 
last week's pod and we expressed our concerns with the NHL wanting to force the draft into early June. And a memo came out last night reaffirming their interest in having that June draft, despite basically everyone else's distaste with the idea. And they did come up with some ideas to address the concerns. I'll just, I'll run through uh, each of those here. So, you know, everyone was concerned about what are we going to do about conditional picks as that were part of the trades. And basically they said, Hey, we're willing to be the arbitrator on this one. If you guys can't come to a resolution on your own on how to deal with these picks, then we'll gladly sit in and say, Hey, if you guys don't want to do that, this is what we think should happen. Um, what do you think about that idea? I think it makes sense to kind of deal with them on a case-by-case case basis because none of the two are the same. And you're not going to – you could see some teams having uh, ideas, okay, we can kind of rejig the trade to look like this where there's no conditions attached to it and we can both live with that. and we'll move forward from there. But uh, there's definitely going to be some that feel they need more value going both ways and that they're both getting the short end of the stick here. So that's probably where you bring in some kind of arbitration system. And I think it's the easiest way to work around it anyway with the least amount of uh, headaches moving forward. Yeah, I think this part of the memo proposal whatever you want to call it is actually pretty smart and just thinking about like for instance the Canucks first rounder Mm -hmm. it's now belongs to New Jersey should the Canucks fail to make the playoffs and another one of the parts of the proposal was to kind of eliminate the ability for teams that are going to be in the playoffs to move up and win the draft lottery they don't want a team winning the cup and also the draft lottery Mm -hmm. so i think like the canucks based on just about every proposal that's come out they're going to be in the playoff mix in one fashion or another so if their pick's going to be like 12th like i don't think they're going to be concerned giving that pick up this year yeah, I guess it would just be a matter of does the new jersey devils want the 12th to 16th pick in this year or do they get a little bit greedy and think that maybe if Markstrom falls apart next year the Canucks are going to be way down in the lottery but it would also depend on how they've assessed the quality of this draft class certainly I think I would rather have the 12th pick in this draft than potentially the number one pick next year just because bird in the hand yeah, same kind of thing as what uh, Ottawa did with ha- taking the number four pick a couple of years ago with Brady to Chuck and saying, yeah, we'll take the risk that it ends up being the number one pick next year that we could have had and go from there. And they ended up uh, getting Brady to Chuck and having him for an extra season. He played that season and it ended up being the number four pick the next year, which I think turned into Valen Byram, who's a very good player in his own right, but I think you're right. The bird in hand is probably the way to go. And this being a 
much uh, stronger draft and next year uh, just being a wild card in terms of where the Vancouver pick might end up. It probably would make sense just to take what they can get with the pick for now. Well, and not just a wild card in terms of where the Canucks pick is going to wind up. Like it could end up number one, but how many leagues are actually going to be playing next season? Like, is there going to be a CHL season? Cause they're not going to play if they can't get fans into rinks. Whereas the, the larger pro leagues may very well play. So there could be a whole lack of prospects that no one has any idea on for next season's draft. And I wonder if that wouldn't also become, become some kind of impetus to, bump towards drafting at 19, which has been bandied about uh, for years now. Yeah, we could definitely see that uh, some kind of case where the draft ends up getting pushed back because that, as you said, no teams have really been able to scout players in their kind of last developmental year before they go into the draft. And that would be hugely interesting to see what they want to do with that we could as you said have the draft move back uh, as has been discussed a few different uh, places looking to try and push the age back because really you only have maybe two or three players that make the jump full-time to the nhl uh, out of every draft class so i don't know if you want to come up with some kind of exceptional status to draft one or two players a year earlier if you just end up leaving it and if they could have made it they could have made it but you're getting them at 19 and maybe a little bit more mature a little bit more ready to step right in and maybe that ends up benefiting everybody in the long run exceptional players alex you're starting to sound like an agent (laughs) uh so as we mentioned they are looking to use point percentage to determine the standings uh, in order to determine the draft order. And then that would delineate who's in the lottery or not. So the bottom 15 teams by points percentage would be in the lottery, but they want to move back to the old format where only one team wins the lottery and a team can't move up higher than number, or they can't move up higher than four spots from where they're actually at. So that eliminates the concern of a team being in the playoffs, winning the cup and then winning the lottery and picking number one overall. Is this all just some strategy to rig it so that the Red Wings can't fall farther than second in the draft and land one of Lafreniere or Byfield? I'm not really too big into conspiracy theories, but it is definitely a thought that the Red Wings need a lot more help than most other teams down there. Uh, They do have Iserman running the ship now. So I do have a little faith in him being able to turn things around in a decent amount of time. I think uh, I don't mind keeping it or moving backwards in time and going back to being able to move up only four slots. I don't mind that in terms of, making sure that teams can't win or a team can't win the cup this year and then end up winning a draft lottery as well. But uh, I think taking away the kind of three lot 
the three lottery winners in a year where things are more up in the air than ever. I think this kind of might actually be the spot where having those three winners would make the bigger difference anyway. I think that brings back a certain kind of level of randomness outside of the standings that you wouldn't, that you don't have at this point. Uh, so I think if they were to still go with the three lottery winners, but at that point make it so that none of those three could move up more than four slots, or maybe the first winner moves up six, the second winner moves up five, and the third can move up the most four, something like that. I'm not uh, sure, but uh, I don't mind the overall system. I think there could just be a few tweaks to what they're proposing. You see, this part I absolutely hate. And the reason that they've put it in is because they still have no fucking idea what they're going to do if they're able to return to play. Like, I think the latest proposal was we're going to have 24 teams in and we're just going to go by divisions. So the top six in every division make it in. And then I think it's like Chicago and the New York Rangers get screwed as like better number seven teams. And then mm-hmm. you'd have like Anaheim and Buffalo making it as teams that have no business in there, but they don't know what they're going to do with that 24 team return to play scenario. So they shift to this lottery format where they could have really bad teams like Buffalo and Anaheim be in their playoff system, but still also be in their lottery, but they can't ultimately win the lottery. So they've mm-hmm. just, they've kind of come up with the best or the worst of both worlds just because they can't figure their shit out. And they that's can't make why, yeah. And that's why they shouldn't be forcing this draft. I wish they would just, resolve that the best 24 teams make it in they do like a wild card crossover or whatever and so you've got six teams in every division but it's not just the teams from every division we get Chicago in there we get New York in there and we can have them cross over to the other division because Anaheim and Buffalo shouldn't probably be in this playoffs their their team wasn't good enough this year as much as I'd like to see Jack Eichel in a playoff scenario we'll we'll wait until the sabers get good enough to get him there um yeah if they did that then they could just have the lottery for the bottom seven teams and those seven teams could all have equal well not not totally equal but they could all have a chance at number one and that's how i would do it i would have those top three picks be available in the lottery and it's just the bottom seven teams that have a chance to grab it this year. I think that definitely makes a lot more sense. I'm a hundred percent on board with the top six in each division. And then the two wild card slots at the bottom in each conference, just based on kind of existing points percentage. And then, yeah, at that point, if you're running with that, then you have the seven leftover teams, you have the three tiered uh, same lottery system and they bounce around from there. I, I'm definitely on board with that more so than what the NHL's put forward so far. Mm-hmm. And the thing that concerns me with the NHL really trying to force this forward is I've kind of been 
taking my cues from what the NBA has been doing because they seem a lot more firm on their desire to return. And they just made the decision to postpone both their draft lottery and their, their NBA combine. I mean, like the combine that was never going to be able to happen. Like, I don't think that's going to happen this year, but certainly they're, they push back their lottery and they're probably going to end up having to push back their draft. And I wonder if that just isn't an indication that it's more likely that the NBA comes back than the NHL, just because the logistics of it are much easier, smaller teams, uh, easier to have pop-up venues for basketball than hockey and all that stuff just makes it seem a lot easier. And maybe like there's, there's way more money in the NBA. There's way more at stake for them to come back and play games, even if there aren't fans, whereas the NHL being gate driven, they stand to gain less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely a good way to be looking at, uh, it is a good, uh, indicator of where we might be heading. And I think you hit the nail on the head that the NHL doesn't have as much to lose as the NBA that, uh, I think runs a lot of profit off of their television deals, especially out of uh, China as well. Uh, So yeah, you're right. They would have an easier time coming back and have more to gain from it. I think the other added angle is that they don't have ice costs. They don't have to make ice in the summer and they don't have the same kind of level of equipment managers and other uh, behind the scene, behind the scenes, uh, player or not players but uh team managers and that kind of thing so it is interesting to see that uh they are able to take kind of a more firm stance on we are going to come back we're pushing back the draft lottery and it would be nice to see that in the nhl uh kind of giving some more firm direction but uh hey at least they're trying (laughs) yeah yeah, you've you've got to give them some bonus points for effort. So one of the big issues that they're going to have to resolve it came out this week with the pushback from the players that if we do go ahead with returning to play and they they silo off in those four hub cities or or whatever seems to be what's ultimately going to end up happening a lot of guys aren't willing to be siloed off from their families for two to three months or however long it, it ends up being to play out these playoffs. And like, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I know the league's trending younger, but still like half of these teams are going to be guys with wives and kids and, and stuff like that. And even the younger players may not be willing to go without seeing you know, their, their siblings or their parents or that sort of stuff. So I'm sympathetic to it, but at the same time, ultimately there's a huge amount of money at stake and there's a huge amount of, I guess, public interest in this thing being able to be pulled off. So what, what do you think? Are there any possible ideas to, I guess, mitigate those concerns? I don't know if there's really a way to 
get around the fact that the players will have to be isolated from families and significant others and that kind of uh, outside world for a longer period of time. I think the bonus is that the players that will be isolated for the longest will have the closest shot at the Stanley Cup. So kind of balances out a bit. I'm sure a lot of people would say, uh, yeah, if you could tell me that I'd be in the Stanley Cup finals, yeah, I'd be away from my family for two, maybe even three months. It's the kind of trade-off that you have there. And a lot of other different jobs throughout the world, you have to be away from your families for different lengths of time. And people manage that. So I think that it is definitely a tough situation and there will have to be sacrifices on all sides, but you do have the kind of thing where, yeah, it's, it's tough, but you make it work to uh, do your job and to kind of make everything work for the whole system. I know there's a few players that have been a little more outspoken. Uh, there was a feature from a few of the folks at TSN mentioning that Kyle Lowry and Philip, or sorry, not Kyle Lowry, Adam Lowry and Philip Deneau were uh, outspoken about not wanting to be away from their families that long, as well as uh, Bo Horvat, who's I think his uh, he has a child due sometime in July, which if he's away for that, that would be extremely tough on him. And then uh, players like Yanni Gord, his uh, kid just turned two yesterday. So that would be tough on a young family as well. So I don't know if there's a way to kind of keep the families in isolation with them or where you make the splits off there, how that all works. But uh it's definitely going to be a very large logistical undertaking for sure. Yeah, I really like that you you brought up some of the player names because it's easy to kind of rally up for the side of, well, you guys should be able to go a couple of months without seeing your family. But then you you actually mention the player names and it, like it's it just it personalizes it, it humanizes it, and that's really important. So. I'm all for whatever can be done to help mitigate those, those issues. And I think that none of this gets off the ground without large scale testing being available. Like I think with the NBA, they're looking at if they're able to return to play, they're going to have, I think it's like 15,000 tests that they're going to need to be able to finish their season. So the NHL would need even more than that. And they also have to be able to do it at a scale where it's not taking away from what, what the public at large has available to them. But assuming that mass testing is available, then I think you can, you can solve some of these issues, whether it's, you know, the family parachutes in for a couple of days and everyone gets tested and then you move on from there or the other thing like they've talked about doing these hub cities well eventually you're going to end up if they do four hub cities with each division split up eventually 
there's one team's going to emerge from that division, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all going to have to move to a final hub city because they're not all going to be in the same location. So to me, that creates a natural break in the schedule roughly halfway where maybe players or families can jet in to see them during this break or they jet out for a few days a week whatever it is to make the schedule work between going to the the final four uh hub city so to speak yeah that definitely would break it up nicely mm -hmm. and the other thing that has has been talked about is the nhl and the nba have they're talking about dipping their toes into phase two where players are allowed to get back on the ice in some capacity either like on their own or in smaller groups and i mean that could happen within the next two weeks so for me that would mitigate the issue of needing to have a super long training camp which would keep the players away from their families for that much longer Mm -hmm. And the sooner they jump on doing this phase two, the sooner players like there's a bunch of players who have headed back to Europe. So those guys need to get back and go through their two week quarantine. And then they've also got to resolve Canada, U.S. border issues, which I'm, I'm sure they would be able to find some like pro sports exemption would get figured out if it's on the table to bring this stuff back and and help uh, really help out the economy and just you know people in general uh, having something to to entertain them and, and look forward to so i think that there would be a lot of goodwill to resolve those issues but ultimately there's going to be a bunch of stuff to resolve so the sooner that players in some capacity are able to get back on the ice like i don't think they need the three-week training camp that they're they've been asking for if they're at least able to get on the ice right because that's going to be the huge hurdle for them is if they haven't skated for a while they do need three weeks of some kind of skating to be effective but if they're if they're able to get on in mid-may then they should be ready for a july season yeah i'm definitely on board with you on that that it should be manageable to make it work with a bit of a shorter uh, training camp per se and yeah it does seem like it's only weeks away now if it is going to happen to make things work for finishing the season off this summer that you would have probably a two three week warning for people to be able to get back quarantine and then right away you're back on the ice with some teammates and moving on from there so, yeah, we'll see how things shake out, but it uh, doesn't seem like there's too many options around that anyway. No. Did you want my galaxy brain idea for resolving the, uh, the players' issues with not seeing their families? I would love to hear it. <laughs> so, get rid of teams. Teams don't exist anymore. Oh, okay. You just, you just take the players that are willing to be siloed off for two to three months. And those are the ones who come back and you put them into new teams that are all sponsored by, 
you know, majority NHL partners. And so you could have like Crosby and McDavid playing together, all these dream scenarios. I don't know however many players are willing to come back. That's how many teams you have in this challenge cup and you do whatever it takes to have some kind of a season and put on a bunch of games and maybe have some crazy playoff series and make it get some money back into the system and put something on TV for advertisers to advertise with and you know the the major sponsors they get their logo right on the front of the jersey and it's all ridiculous and fantasy land and what do you think about that i think it'd be amazing i'm coming up with a whole bunch of side ideas off of that in my head right now i mean uh what we saw with the world cup that uh people just jumped on the under 23 team and love the team america thing i still see jerseys and hats every once in a while for that team so i wonder if you could make back the whole bucket load of money from uh making a new set of teams like that maybe you have a an under 23 team and the kids from toronto team and et cetera, et cetera, down from there kind of thing it'd be a lot of fun to be able to watch you make up some new new logos, sell some more sweaters. And uh, I really like that idea. It's a ton of fun. I mean, it's not going to happen, but it makes for a great daydream. Yeah. Do you think they could get Martin Brodeur to come back and play for the Enterprise Renaissance Center team? <laughs> uh, who's the other guy that uh, is in ads for that? There's some other famous guy. I can't remember bring him in as a celebrity coach and <laughs> yeah, you could do some, uh, do some crazy things with that. Yeah. It all sounds a heck of a lot. Like, I don't know. It's something like out of space jam or some crazy movie and, and not at all yeah. grounded in reality. But like we said with, uh, with Kurt Overhart, we need crazy dumb ideas and that's mine. Yeah, I like it. Or maybe you do something like yours. You bring back the players you can and uh, you sit them all down with Crosby, McDavid, Ovechkin, and uh, Dreisaitl as captains and you run them off and you wait until Phil Kessel gets picked last. Did you just propose the fantasy draft? Yep. Oh my goodness, you just made this that much better. Gosh, that would be, I, that would be a I lot of fun. It. I love it. And that would like, that could be a multi-day event. Just yeah. the fantasy draft. You have all the players sitting on their couches, just like the NFL draft and uh, get to see a little sneak peek and everybody celebrating when they get drafted. Okay. So be it resolved that Crosby picking for the team Reebok will not pick Phil Kessel until the last pick. <laughs> that means we have to give Crosby first pick too, don't we? Yeah, you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head. They, they would have to go snake draft. If uh, Ovechkin, McDavid, and Dreisaitl are the other captains, who does Crosby take uh, first overall? I mean, he, he goes with his uh, fellow Coal Har Harbor native in... Um, Nathan McKinnon, probably. 
You don't think he'd go uh, for Marc-Andre Fleury? You know, I think that uh, Fleury would be, he would be really good in the room, but I think just the, the brand synergy, like maybe Crosby's not picking for team Reebok. Maybe he's, he's picking for team Tim Hortons. Maybe. Maybe you have uh, Timbits hockey jerseys that they could wear for all of their games too. Oh, man. You, you're just <laughs> full of the good ideas this morning, Alex. Are you sure you're the one who's not high on coffee right now? I had a green tea, and uh, apparently that gets me going. <laughs> right on. Alex, this was a hell of a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on the pod once again to discuss some of the latest happenings in the NHL. Uh, what do you got going on? Do you have anything to plug? Nothing new. No. Just trying to keep sane, keep indoors, and eh, get out for some vitamin D for a walk when you can. Right on. Well, everyone, make sure you check out Alex's capped columns each week on DauberHockey.com and give him a follow on Twitter at Alex D. McLean. Alex, once again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Okay, folks, another great episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast in the books. Thanks once again to Alex for coming on the pod and sharing his thoughts on some of the recent happenings with the NHL. Going forward, I've got a few redraft pods in the hopper. I had Peter Harling on once again to redraft the 2000 NHL draft, the Rick DiBietro draft. I had Tony Ferrari on doing the 05 draft, and I had Elon Dubrovsky of keeping Carlson on the pod to redraft 08. Look out for those coming in the next few weeks. And with the growing likelihood of a June draft coming up in a month here, I'm going to start having some prospect folks on the draft to prepare for that. So look out for some of that content in the next few weeks. And please like and subscribe the pod if you haven't already.